Welcome to the Dark Academicals, the podcast where we delve into the mythos of dark academia one book at a time. I'm Sarah Purnell. And I'm Sophie Waters. Today we're looking at our dark academia adjacent novel for season three, which is Madeline Miller's A Song of Achilles. So this book is actually 10 years old and has taken TikTok by storm. So you probably all know what it's about at this point, but just in case you do not, here we go. <laughs> when the young prince Patroclus is exiled to the kingdom of King Peleus, Patroclus quickly bonds with the golden prince Achilles and they grow up together learning to fight, to heal, to lead and to love too, all in the shadow of the disapproval of Achilles' mother, the sea goddess Thetis. But when war breaks out, Achilles and Patroclus are called to fight the Trojans for the honour of Greece. The trials of war, fighting and ten long years in the camp will test everything they've ever known. I do feel like that we need to put a little um, pronunciation warning here in the sense that I say Patroclus, which is and apparently the American way of pronouncing his name. And I say Patroclus. Sometimes. <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> we, we've had this discussion and we've said it so many times that I now don't know what I'm saying or how I say it. So have fun with that. <laughs> Patroclus for me. Patroclus, is it? <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll find out how this goes. <laughs> right. So, content warnings for Song of Achilles. There are many. But the main ones are death, violence, war, blood and sexual assault. Uh, obviously, we need to put in a spoiler warning because we will be talking about all of the book, the beginning, the middle and the end and the bits that make you cry because... Surely, if nothing else you know about this book, you need to know that it will make you cry. Big fat tears. Every time. Every time. <laughs> Every time. <laughs> we also want to do a quick quick promo segment for our mailer which goes out every two weeks and it is the Dark Academicals Book Club And there is currently giveaways running. There, we've got exclusive interviews. We have, did I say giveaways? We've got giveaways. <laughs> <laughs> and we kind of just give you sneak peeks and exclusive info coming up about the podcast and all that good stuff. And we'd love if you would subscribe. I think that's all the admin. Mm. Admin done. Tick. So... I guess we should probably clarify what a Dark Academia adjacent title is because if you're clicking on this podcast and you're like, cool, Dark Academia, and then see the Song of Achilles, I'm sure it's a, what? So basically, a Dark Academia adjacent novel is a novel or a novel as part of a genre that runs alongside Dark Academia or informs it. Yes. So we will often include books that are maybe gothic or mm -hmm. classics or classic gothic. <laughs> um, but in this case, it's more of a retelling of a myth because in Dark Academia, you often get especially ancient Greek mythology referenced or characters and plots are heavily influenced by. Yeah. <laughs> and that's why we chose it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and apparently also because we like pain so much pain oh i didn't think it was going to affect me as much because it's the third time i've read it but no mm. 
sitting there, <laughs> tears running down my face, praying my work phone doesn't ring. What were the audiobooks on? <laughs> Luckily it didn't. I escaped that one. <laughs> so our normal kind of order of business for these titles is we do it the same as we would approach a normal Dark Academia title in the podcast. So we run through our list of tenets of Dark Academia, you know, the bits and pieces, the themes, the elements that make a Dark Academia novel for us. And we see if they feature in this book that we're looking at. And then we decide whether it's Dark Academia. So let's go. Let's go. <laughs> First up, we've got a higher education setting. I mean, no. <laughs> but. No. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they do go and study with Chiron. They do. And it's um, high because it's on top of a mountain. <laughs> and he is a centaur. That's got nothing to do with the... the I just wanted to clarify who he was. <laughs> yeah, um, and like they yeah. learn the art of war, of fighting, of the politics of it, e- even going to like healing and medicine and surgery. Yeah. And kind of how to survive on a battlefield because they they know like the plants and the herbs and what to avoid and all things like that. So they yeah. they do have a rigorous education. It's just not. It's very much an ancient Greek education rather than a modern <laughs> education. <laughs> yeah. And obviously on the same page as that, there's not really old Gothic architecture because this is a a little bit pre-Gothic, you know. <laughs> Just yeah, a little. We don't actually. There isn't actually that much descriptions of the architecture, and I mean, admittedly, you only get actual proper bona fide buildings probably in the beginning. Yeah. And then they're either in caves or tents. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. So, or tombs. Or tombs. Yeah. Oh, tears, tears. Caves and tents and tombs. That's what happens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's definitely. That's, I'd never really thought about that, actually, but we don't really get any glimpse of the palace, do we? Not really. Like, they sleep on pallets. That's literally about it, I think. Yeah. So, I next think, up... Go on, sorry. I was just going to say, I think just generally, like, the, the the story itself is quite simple. Because, I mean, it's, yeah. it's a story that everyone knows. Everyone, or has heard... I mean, everyone surely usually has heard of Achilles, at least, yep. of an Achilles yep. heel. And then a lot of people have also will have heard of, you know, Achilles and Patroclus. But this definitely takes it in a more uh, queer route. I don't know <laughs> oh, how else absolutely. to explain it. Yeah. I don't know how else to explain it because um, I think we'll probably talk about it a little bit more later. But it's it's still in it's still very much in line with kind of the Greek tradition of. Mm men taking other men as lovers yeah yeah definitely but it's also kind of that you know there's like that uh meme of you know history calling you know uh two women that were in a relationship for 50 years roommates yeah you know it's kind of turning that back around and giving that relationship back to patroclus and achilles yeah so which because that's that meme seems to be going round again so <laughs> that did that did pop into my head um sorry sidetracked but 
um, I think it's because the descriptions are often quite simple mm. and the story itself is quite simple but I think that allows kind of like the the space for the kind of emotional content to breathe yeah. and the depth of characterization as well yeah because like I was trying to write a review for this earlier and Achilles is like he's not a great guy you know no, he's a he's he's a jerk he is and yet I never actually felt that way towards him until there's that section at the end where he refuses mm. to fight. Yeah. Like, it's but up until that him, point. Because we see him through the eyes of Patroclus. Yeah, that's true. It and is, Patroclus f- is forever forgiving him. Or not even forgiving him because he always says, says there's nothing to forgive. Yeah. And I think because of how warm and open and soft they always are with each other mm. you kind of like don't see the other side and you don't even see yeah. a- um, achilles on the battlefield that that often either no because we're with um Petrus, yeah. i guess yeah and i think they complement each other so beautifully don't they 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 bring the best out in each other yeah for the majority for the majority of the time yeah yeah that last quarter not so much but mm. i guess it is rose-tinted glasses of a love story isn't it that we're looking yeah. at it f- from true so yeah next we've got a preoccupation with classical studies latin greek literature <laughs> or philosophy and i mean technically because it's you know their life yeah. they are they are greek a greek myth <laughs> they are the thing that people study so yeah it, do- it doesn't work <laughs> but it's not absent from the text because it is the text (laughs) yeah i mean there is kind of like a yeah there is a preoccupation with achilles as a as a myth but or like as a as a a prophecy Mm. but it's it's exploring it in like current time so like as in like it's happening then rather than when we see dark Dark academia they're exploring it as before yeah it's the making of a myth. Yeah. But also they mythologize and like are aware of the Greek myths that came before them, the Greek heroes that came before them. They talk about um Heracles a lot, don't they? Yeah. And like I said, they know they know how it's gonna end for both of them. So they're yeah. kind of obsessing over this uh foretelling. I don't know what else to yeah. call it 'cause Yeah. And they know that their names are going to be important in the future, that their story is going to be significant. And I guess that's kind of what causes both their downfall, isn't it? Yeah. Because it's um, Achilles trying to defend his honour. Yeah. It's that thing, isn't it? Like, if, if if they didn't know, would it have turned out the same way? Yeah. But were they always going to know because of the nature of Thetis? as well i guess that's one of those questions isn't it is that that it's fated yeah you know it's almost like they were fated to be together and fated to die for each other in but not in a direct way Mm. and that is a very classical theme obviously because it is a greek myth (laughs) it's really meta when you start thinking about it like that (laughs) it's a bit confusing (laughs) I think there's a. I know we're way, we're gone straying way off topic, but there is a 
there's a line towards the beginning and it it says something about how oh hang on I think I've got it on my phone two seconds I screenshotted it and perhaps it is the greater grief after all to be left on earth when another is gone do you think and then Achilles says perhaps and it's just that especially when you've read it before as well that foreshadowing is heartbreaking especially so early on you don't want to be reminded yet I know and like we get to that once they know the prophecy once they know that you know Achilles killing Hector that's it for him really and he always says like if um Patroclus goes he's gonna be gone soon after and Patroclus says the same about Achilles like yeah there's that kind of cyclic intertwined fate thing that i can't find the words for i think that's that's quite poignant as well on a reread because you can see it like you said with the foreshadowing it's everywhere in their conversations i think as well from a dark academia point of view it's quite interesting because it's the same kind of like obsessive mindsets that often dark academia protagonists or characters are obsessed with. Yeah, that's true. And it's because in dark academia novels, it's wanting those characters wanting to, to be a part of those myths, to recreate them, to bring that into the modern world. And this is, you know, the original creation of those myths yeah so they are they are connected in in that way i think and i i do think that actually patroclus would be kind of interested in that in if he was in a different time wouldn't he mm. i think he would be very preoccupied with myths and legends and the heroes hmm. and probably Achilles as well to a, in a different way maybe <laughs> I don't know where I was going with that to be quite <laughs> honest but there we go this is where we are now <laughs> <laughs> where do we get to oh murder murder yeah there's a heck of a lot of that yeah some accidental but most not, <laughs> most not. it I mean... starts with a murder doesn't it really yeah, I mean, Patroclus killing that boy, he doesn't doesn't mean to, does he? No. He's utterly horrified by what he's done. He's defending himself, isn't he? Yeah. But it's also the... I can't remember who it is. Someone says... It might be Achilles, actually, says, why didn't you tell them that you were defending yourself? Mm. Why didn't you lie? Why didn't you run away? And uh, Patroclus hadn't really thought about that before. Yeah, it didn't occur to him, did it? it to, no. And I think that is a... truth. yeah. That is a very different uh, view of murder or positioning of murder in a novel than the Dark Academia titles. Yeah. Because they are either trying to hide it, trying to solve it, <laughs> or working out how to commit it. <laughs> you know, it's, and it is very secretive and slippery and... Yeah, I suppose on the flip side, the Song of Achilles... A lot of it is in how can we prevent this from happening? Yeah. So they don't want Hector's death. They don't want to go to war. 
know, there's that that line that that Achilles and Patroclus repeat a lot, and it's like he did nothing to me. What did he do to me? Yeah, because they know that Achilles killing Hector will initiate this prophecy. And then I think it's eventually, isn't it? It's like I haven't something like I haven't done anything to him, but I've given him plenty of reason now. Yeah, he kill all of his sons bar one. He does, yeah. And then obviously, what makes Achilles search out Hector is because Hector killed Patroclus, mm. and finally, you know, he did do something to Achilles. And it is so. It's that scene. I think gets me really hard because it, it's so on page. It is. It's literally the killing blow. Yeah, and also the kind of that that level of hurt and revenge. So in the religions and mythology of um, ancient Greece, a, a soul cannot rest mm. until the body is you know has the religious rites said over it until that body is laid to rest maybe burnt or whatever and achilles because he is so angry and so thick in grief he drags hector's body back to his tent because he refused to refuses to let hector's soul yeah. rest for this crime he has committed against him and, then, and um, Patroclus. And then parades it around for however many days, doesn't he? Yeah. He takes the body back out. Mm. And it's not until Hector's father, the king, like risks his life, this old man, this old king who doesn't really fight on the battlefield, you know, coming directly to Achilles' tent in the middle of the night to beg for his son's body back so, you know, his soul can be free. And that is... That is a scene and a half, isn't it? It's so powerful. Yeah. And that's also reflected in the fact that, you know, uh, Patroclus's body is in that tent as well because Achilles won't give him up, he won't let him go. Mm. And um, he's conti Patroclus is continuing to narrate the story. Yeah. From his, you know, disembodied soul, watching Achilles' heart break and his mind shatter a little bit, honestly. Yeah. And then there's that moment when Achilles has finally met his end and they do mingle their ashes together. And I think he says something to the effect of, I thought it would feel like something, but it feels like nothing. Yeah. And I'm just like, no, can't deal. <laughs> Cannot deal. It's also that bit where... Um, Patroclus starts telling Thetis stories of Achilles. Mm. Kills me. Absolutely kills me. I think that's the first time you see her as a mother. Yeah. Or as the traditional portrayal of a mother. Mm. Because for most of the novel, she is an avenging goddess, isn't she? Really. But I suppose we don't, we often don't, again, we only see her from Patroclus's point of view. And I suppose yeah. from, from her perspective... He is her son's downfall. Yeah. So that's all we see from her. Whereas um, it, you get the feeling that even though Achilles is wary, not afraid, but wary of his mother, there yeah. is a definite connection and oh yeah, bond there. Definitely. But we're definitely going to be talking about the women of uh, we are <laughs> this novel a bit later. <laughs> So next up is a dark, moody and or haunting vibe. 
literally haunting at the yeah. end. It's but other than that, already. no, it's it's so rich and so full of life, isn't it? Like, yeah, it's buzzing with energy and emotion the entire way through. I think, yeah. and even when Patroclus is kind of narrating from <laughs> from the other side. It doesn't feel like a haunting, I don't think. No. no, the writing is really something special. It is. So even though it doesn't have, obviously, the dark academia kind of essence that we always look for, it is mm. truly something special. It is, and the atmosphere is. Then we have hero worship of a particular figure or author. Yes. Yeah. So there is lots of, you know, hero worship of Achilles by, you know, the men in the camps uh, and also by um, Patroclus. Yeah. A lot by Patroclus because yeah. obviously we re- we're reading it from his perspective and he loves him. Um, And from Thetis as well. She yeah. puts Achilles on a pedestal, doesn't she? She does. I... I find it it is quite wrenching when she essentially gives up on him. Yeah. In favour of his son, Pyrus. Who's an, who's yeah, an absolute so. asshole. Oh, he's horrible. He's he's the he's, antithesis of Achilles in a lot of ways, isn't yeah. he? He's like but thirteen, isn't he? And he's twelve. Just an absolute yeah. He's an absolute git. Yeah, he's awful. He's he's kind of the stereotypic stereotypic that's not a word <laughs> stereotypical um arrogant beautiful prince who has all of these skills and is going to be a legend he's you know? very much the achilles that you uh i won't say often but has appeared in retellings yes he's the kind of the achilles that you expect mm-hmm. whereas we're given a much more human yeah. Achilles. Well, doesn't he get... He gets criticised for being soft-hearted at one point, doesn't he? Yeah. And gets told to toughen up. But that toughened Achilles is what causes um, Patroclus to go out onto the battlefield, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. Hmm. I think also there is hero worship from Achilles of Heracles... Mm-hmm. especially in his earlier years when they're training with Chiron. Yeah. Um, and I think even of uh, Patroclus a little bit. Because the way Patroclus acts and thinks and conducts himself is so alien to Achilles. You know, mm. even after they've, you know, spent 20 years together. Or maybe not quite that long. I can't remember. Well, it is quite that long because is it... it's a long time. I think it's, I feel like they're 28 when they die. Something like that, aren't they? I'm, they, I'm sure they someone... And they were barely over... They were like 10 or 11 when... Yeah. Well, I think isn't Patroclus a little bit younger, like a year or two younger than Achilles? Uh... Don't mind the dog. I think, I think you might be. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's a long time. It's a long time. And you, the thing that they spent half of that time 
in a tent. Yeah. A nice tent. I mean, they were nice camps. It's After still 10 years, princes, these camps are yeah. pretty top notch, but yeah. But they still spent, spent a yeah. third of their life in a war camp. Yeah. Can't really imagine it, can you? No. <laughs> <laughs> so next up, we have old money, which will collide with new money or no money. And this doesn't really apply here. Do you not think? Patroclus turns up at um, Peleus's palace as an exile. He's got no money. Not yeah. anymore. But it's, it's, not, it's not a conflict, though, is it? Anywhere? No, I suppose not, but... I, I mean, yeah, I, I get what you mean. It is definitely present at the beginning. Mm. But I think as soon as... But they are they... the same status, aren't they? Yeah. Especially once Achilles takes him as his companion, then they're seen as one and the same, essentially, yeah. aren't they? Yeah, definitely. So. Then we've got weather. Weather. As a... <laughs> we need a weather song. <laughs> to introduce weather as a literary device. Now, I hadn't really noticed much about the weather, but you had, hadn't you? I'm always looking out for the weather. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the weather has quite a strong effect on kind of what happens to the story and the myth because it it's a big part of Agamemnon's story That's, too yeah. that the fact that they cannot sail and Odysseus as well like they cannot sail for where do they go <laughs> Troy yeah towards Troy <laughs> <laughs> across the sea um because there's no wind there's no wind like zero for like over a fortnight mm. so um essentially Agamemnon is told that if he sacrifices his daughter then the winds will return yeah, and he sacrifices Iphigenia. I always found it weird that that was Artemis that kind of made that kind of decree or, <laughs> you know, bargain. I just It's just not the idea of Artemis I have in my head. <laughs> like, yeah, I don't know, I know where I've formed this view of Artemis, but it's not sacrificing... <laughs> virgins for good weather i don't know no because she uh, she's, she's done... she leads the hunt doesn't yeah. she which is made of young virgin women who don't who fight for good and <laughs> yeah i don't know that just irritates me a bit honestly <laughs> i don't like it <laughs> it's not my artemis <laughs> Basically. <laughs> but yeah, he kills his daughter and the weather's fixed. So mm. there's that. Um, Just like that. It also, it's our first kind of, not our first kind of, but it's it's Achilles' first proper moment of like, uh, I couldn't save someone. Yeah. Because the whole ruse is, is that, I don't even know why this is a, this is a thing other than, like, I don't know why Achilles had to know. Or any of them had to know. So they, the the idea is they told Clytemnestra that Iphigenia was going to be married off to Achilles. So that's why she was allowed to come to wherever it is they are to sail off. Mm -hmm. But I don't know why they had to get everyone else involved. 
Like, why do they have to tell Achilles that that was what's happening? Because surely they could have just have her turn up, lead her to the altar, do the thing. And it, it just it's, seems like an extra kind of added so just level the power of cruelty. Play. I think so, maybe. But... So going, you're not in charge here. You're as much of a pawn as everyone else in this in this battle, maybe. in this war kind of thing. Maybe. We hadn't seen what he was capable of at that point, though. So it's it an odd power move. Yeah, that's true. But it's his legend. It's that that prophecy. He is the greatest fighter. And Agamemnon is a shit. So he's awful. <laughs> Absolutely awful. I hate him. Do you if know something's what? gone wrong, generally Agamemnon's had something <laughs> yeah. to do with it. Do you know what was really cool though? This is more of a cool thing for me and Sarah, but when we went to Athens, we went out to the ruins of um, Mycenae and it was so cool <laughs> to like hear about Agamemnon at Mycenae and everything, having been to what is believed to be the ruins of the city. Yeah. It was just... Gave awesome. me a little frisson. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, the weather was a was a key factor there. And then again, when they're, I don't know what they're like, year five or something, year <laughs> six, year seven, who knows at this point. But the the weather is horrendous, which then compounds on the fact that a lot of them are getting sick. And then, yeah, so crappy weather, crappy mm. illnesses, plague. <laughs> Yeah, that plague is horrible. So it all comes down to Agamemnon upsetting people in power. He really shouldn't. <laughs> he can't help himself, okay? And then because why not? Like, this has nothing to do with the weather, but he, uh, he, he really steps it up a notch, doesn't he? When he's like, do you know what? I'm going to really piss Achilles off. Oh, he's... There, there are no words for Agamemnon. <laughs> <laughs> that are uh, polite enough to be used on a podcast <laughs> basically <laughs> so our final tenet of dark academia is underdeveloped social skills or the protagonist is portrayed as an outsider and that's a big yes on both yeah. really i mean definitely on patroclus because he yeah. bless him bless his little introverted heart i know i think though as he grows up and as he becomes a part of the community at the camp he has better social skills than Achilles. He definitely finds his place in healing, which I mm. think is quite beautiful. Yeah. For him. Like, yes. it's a horrible situation, obviously, but... It gives him a purpose, doesn't it? Yeah. And I also think in some ways, like, he becomes less of an outsider and Achilles becomes more of an outsider by that point. Yeah. Because, because Achilles is this legendary fighter... Who can save them all? But and there won't. is that fear and aspect. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Whereas Patroclus is the one that's, you know, wrapped up the wounds of these men, you yeah. know, who they wave to him as they walk through the camp. Like, he is one of them, whereas Achilles is someone to be revered and feared. Mm. So I think there's a real big role reversal from the beginning to the end of the novel in the way yeah. that those characters are applied to those elements, I think. But yeah, at the beginning, Patroclus doesn't have a clue about anything. <laughs> bless his little heart. Oh, his awkward <laughs> little soul. <laughs> I know, bless him. It just makes him even more endearing, I think. 
Shall we go on to criticisms and interpretation of isolated elements? Let's. Let's. So, the big one is the treatment of women yeah. in Greek myth and dark academia and the Song of Achilles, specifically. Yeah, it's not great. It's awful, I would say. <laughs> yeah, like, I think you could make an argument that it is just applying already terrible treatment of women. Do you know what I mean? Like, you could yeah. say, this is this is how it is mm-hmm. for women in Greek mythology, because it is. It's awful. Yeah, it is. But I feel like... Uh, I mean... Not every story has to obviously tackle the representation of women in like retellings and mythology and stuff, but I feel like it could I have been a bit better. I feel like it should have done. Yeah, it could have. <laughs> yeah, because she is a woman writer writing in a modern in the modern age with an audience of mostly women. Yeah. Admittedly, she does fully tackle it wholeheartedly in Circe. Um, she gives Circe her voice back in that novel. And this is Achilles and Patroclus' story. True, but Patroclus is but. quite a... He has a lot of emotional intelligence, as you see with... Mm-hmm. Now, I am going to butcher her name, but... Braces? Braceus. Braceus. So, he develops a relationship with her that is actually really positive and really... Yeah. But she still gets a short shift of it, doesn't it? Yeah, doesn't even the it? even the women that are treated better or get some leg ups throughout the novel, they all in the same way. They're all used and abused and bought and sold and exploited and murdered and assaulted and sacrificed, you know, there's And just voiceless. There's not Completely a happy ending voiceless. for any of those women. No. Helen is used as a pawn for a ten year war. Yeah. And we never hear from Helen. And we never even see Helen. <laughs> we don't, actually. <laughs> I think as well, as is often in, again, Greek myth or Greek retellings, women are either at one end or the other. They're either but ugly and terrible, or they're so beautiful you can't even look at them. And yeah. that's their purpose. Their appearance is their purpose. Yeah. That's something I really loved about the way Odysseus and Penelope... Obviously, we can't take Odysseus as a figurehead of this because it's also (laughs) not good. But in the Song of Achilles, the way that their relationship is portrayed and the way Odysseus talks about Penelope, he says that, you know, she isn't the prettiest woman in the world, but that doesn't matter because she's my wife and I love her the most out of all of them. (laughs) And that is the most positive and healthy relationship from that specific, very specific, narrow portrayal (laughs) in this novel, not the wider story of Odysseus. Forget that's there (laughs) for that point. But I actually made a list of the main female characters. So you've got Thetis, Achilles' mother. She was raped and forced to give birth to Achilles. You've got Briseis, who is captured as a war prize and auctioned off 
to Achilles. And then she is sacrificed at the end as punishment. Yeah. You've got Helen, who is stolen. And then a war is carried out in her name, where it's actually over male ego. Got this one I struggled. Didemea? Didemea? Yeah. Who is the um the princess who is in the dancing the dancing troupe? <laughs> oh, um that her character could have been so much more. And yet she's portrayed as this silly, mm-hmm. petulant, foot stamping, jealous just like all the tropes you could think of yeah. for a jealous wife. Absolutely. Her. Yeah. But at the same time, in that situation, that's the only way she was able to grab at any power, any control over her life, was playing those games that she did. Well, I know. In a really awful I, situation. I do get that, but I just feel like she could have had a, 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 a better... I know what you mean. I don't. I don't know. I don't know what I'm trying to say, but I just feel like she could still have done all those things. But maybe, maybe, I don't think. I think a lot of the female characters are very passive in what they do. Like, yeah. it's almost like, well, this is the nature of women, rather than mm. this is how they have had to act to survive. Yeah, no, that is a fair point. And I still don't understand why she slept with Patrick at the end. Like, the, why? Why? I get power, revenge. But- I don't know. How? <laughs> I, I don't understand. <laughs> Honestly. <laughs> that whole bit is just a massive mess. I hate That's it. The... I don't, don't like that bit. <laughs> it's, it's uncomfortable. Yeah. But yeah, you also have Patroclus's mother who is um, sold off at 14 um, to be married because she has what I'm assuming would be known in modern times as learning difficulties yeah um and she's sold off and she's ignored and or is it is it acquired brain injury because i'm sure at some point it said that her dad like hit her on the head with his sword or something so that might be it too that might be it too yeah one or the other but but she's she's not even named in the song of achilles no i had to go looking for her name her name is philomela Hmm. and then you've got iphigenia who's promised a wedding and got sacrificed instead so there would be wind (laughs) (laughs) and that's just the main female characters that's you know not all of the people that were spoils of war you know yeah they go nameless um you just know that essentially patroclus convinces achilles to just hoard these women so to that, keep them safe. <laughs> to keep them safe, which is a very noble um, and very emotionally intelligent thing to do. Mm. But I still found it lacking. Yeah. It, it wasn't enough. I don't think. Mm. But yeah, the... The portrayal of women and giving them a voice could have been a whole lot better in the Song of Achilles. Mm. Basically, is the conclusion there, I think. (laughs) (laughs) 
And I think that just goes for dark academia too, because it is often <laughs> often very similar. Even yeah, from books written by women in the I genre. I can say the, the majority of books in the genre that we found so far are written by women, and yet the portrayal of women stinks. Yeah, <laughs> basically. <laughs> or the treatment. The treatment, the treatment always. Yeah. The treatment <laughs> always stinks, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I'm hoping we find something that breaks that mould. The search yeah. continues. I mean, Madam... As I think it's the only one that comes to mind that yeah takes fights on the against very, it yeah yeah I mean it's they still get treated awfully but it's mm. with an awareness it's with a yes. mindfulness yeah there's there's a point to it there's a feminist yeah. statement to that yeah novel. yeah definitely cool I think you wanted to talk about the queer aspects of the novel didn't you yeah it's queer you- as hell. <laughs> i love that you're like okay so uh we'll talk more about that later <laughs> and it's just queer as hell queer as hell <laughs> yes yes it is and it's beautiful <laughs> but again i think it's from it's it's all it's very it's great <laughs> but it's also very safe to do it from a um, like male presenting queer couple because yes. it was an acceptable thing for ancient Greeks. They explored male on male relationships, masculine relationships often. Mm. Um, it was a disgusting rite of passage, wasn't it, for an older man to sleep with a young boy it was expected almost absolutely Um, and then yeah I think even um, is it Briseis who says um, to Patroclus like I I, you know I'm fine with you having a lover as in meaning Achilles but Mm. don't you want a wife yeah it's still that expectation of that's it's almost like it's acceptable on the sexuality and sex and lust side but for an actual relationship and for love, it's not. Or you can love, but it's you're not allowed. It, it's almost like if it crosses into the boundaries of like uh, the home, like as in like right, to make okay. a home with that person. Yeah. Because in ancient Greece, like women were second class citizens. Mm. So our only domain was the home. Yeah. So I suppose to cross that line you're then almost like gonna have to blend gender roles as well which right yeah just that i can't think of the word uh it's like taking away the masculinity what is that word <laughs> demasculate demasculate something al- some, <laughs> something like that you know what i mean you yeah. know what i mean i hope yeah. Yeah. So it's that, and that's what they like. Briseis can't understand, isn't it? I think. Yeah. It upsets the social structure. Yeah. So and um, which again, it's an important story because you know these two men loved each other, heart and soul, and yeah. why shouldn't they be able to have a life together mm, without this need to have to have a wife and have to have an heir and have to. 
you know why can't each other be enough for society Mm. and I think it's interesting as well that you know so many retellings and portrayals of this story rewrites them just as friends just friends just roommates exactly (laughs) and it's that age-old kind of like it's I don't know what my point was actually yeah it's gone (laughs) but it's that kind of I guess Madeline Miller is giving them back their love story that you know yeah history has taken from them yeah because history is often written by men yes straight white powerful men yeah and I, I think what I do love about authors like Madeline Miller, like Natalie Haynes, etc. Um, they do add, they give back the the emotion to it. They give yes. back like that human emotion to it. They give back the the flaws, which mm-hmm. you do still get in traditional retellings, but they're very like um, they're not very nuanced. It's like they're very black and white, aren't they? Yeah, it's like you did this here's the consequences whereas the consequences are far more complicated and far more human yeah um than like Definitely. oh you did this now you'll lose the war no you you now you've done this your the love of your life is dead what are you gonna do like, yeah <laughs> and the motivations are more complex as well yeah aren't they? definitely yeah I think something that is maybe missing from, this is a wider statement really, but (laughs) missing from, you know, these mythology retellings is to some degree like the own voices element of, um, you know, gay relationships because they're mostly written by women. Yeah. So I do think... That's something that's missing. And also from people of colour. Yeah. They are mostly a straight white women genre. Wrong yeah. word, but I know what apparently. you mean. Yeah. <laughs> so I think there's definitely some real room for continued exploration of um representation within Greek mm. myth. Although like it's it's going in the right direction and the um the giving the women voices back of lots of those authors is yeah. absolutely perfect. Like Jennifer Saint, Natalie yeah. Haynes, uh, Madeline Miller with Cersei. Like it is, it is happening. I think that it just needs to spread really further, doesn't yeah. it? So final thoughts. Did you love it as much on a reread? I did. Me too. Me too. It's, it's a special book, isn't it? It really is. But is it Dark Academia? No. No. <laughs> Not at all. But it's intrinsically tied up with Dark Academia. It informs it. It lays groundwork. It's it's intimately connected with Dark Academia and the characters and the way they exist. You could easily see it on a shelf of a Dark Academia characters. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, 100%. So... That's it for the Song of Achilles by Madeline Miller. Uh, we'd love to hear what you guys think about this book in terms of Dark Academia as well. 
So we're going to do one final shout out for our mailer, the Dark Academicals Book Club where there are giveaways running. We have a, an exclusive Q and A with Sierra Simone live at the moment, which you can once you're subscribed, you can see everything. So it's all up there, and we do try and do a giveaway at least once once a month, and you'll be the first to hear about the titles that we will be covering in season four because that is going to be here before we are prepared to be quite honest <laughs> season four is coming because <laughs> next episode is the second to last title of the season wow so yeah would you like to spill the beans on that i will beans officially being spilt um we will be talking about vicious by ve schwab Victor and Eli started out as college roommates, brilliant, arrogant, lonely boys who recognised the same sharpness and ambition in one another. A shared research interest in adrenaline, near-death experiences and seemingly supernatural events reveals an intriguing possibility that under the right conditions, someone could develop extraordinary abilities. But when their thesis moves from the academic to the experimental, things go horribly wrong. They become EOs, extraordinaries, leaving a body in their wake and turning on each other. Ten years later, Victor has escaped from prison and is determined to get his revenge on the man who put him there, aided by a young girl with the ability to raise the dead. Eli has spent the years hunting down and killing every EO he can find, convinced that they are a crime against God, all except his sidekick, a woman whose power is persuasion and whom he cannot defy. Armed with the terrible power on both sides, driven by the memory of betrayal and loss, the arch nemeses have set a course for revenge, but who will be left alive at the end? Dun, dun, dun. It's an intense summary, okay? It is, it is. <laughs> that is a lot. It is a lot. And I have really I, mixed feelings about V. Schwab, so this will be interesting. I've never read a V. Schwab book, although I really need to stop calling it Viscous because... <laughs> That's started, entirely different. It started as a joke and now I just keep doing it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we hope you've enjoyed this episode. And if you enjoyed the episode we'd love for you to sign up to the mailer subscribe to the podcast like and review to your heart's content and we will see you again in two weeks bye bye